Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. chapter 4 verses 5 through 26 so he came to a samaritan city called sychar near the plot of ground that jacob had given to his son joseph jacob's well was there and jesus tired out by his journey was sitting by the well it was about noon a samaritan woman came to draw water and jesus said to her give me a drink his disciples had gone to the city to buy food the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a jew Ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Um, I would love to um, invite forward uh, our panel for today. If you haven't been with us this um, up till now and you, you're not connected, um, uh, through email or anything, you may not know we've been doing a, a sermon series called Biblical Race Theory. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a cute name to play off of the fact that in the news a lot lately, we've been um, hearing a lot about critical race theory. And we, for the last three weeks, we kind of did a sermon series walking through what the Bible says about race, and um, and and setting both critical race theory like alongside. Um, and also um, counter to even in moments um, what a biblical theory of race, and so um, it's it's been really I've been it's been so fruitful for me to do the research myself, a lot of work, but um, it's been really really um, good for me. But also, um, I have loved hearing your stories, and so last week I said. There's so many stories that I've been getting through email and just even side conversations. People, you know, a, a lot 
women mostly filled my inbox. <laughs> Lots of paragraphs. But um, also side conversations from um, men too who have just have have been processing um, and, and processing their own story and processing how it feels um, to be here. And I felt, felt like today needed to be a day that you heard from them. And so I'd love to um, invite forward our panel. And as they're coming forward, yeah, come on down. And as they're coming forward, I'll, I'll tell you who they are. Um, we have uh, Ryan Battle. We have um, Marcos Correa. And um, you don't have to sit in order. And I'm not like, to, uh, this is Cheryl Williams, uh, Carolyn Ricks, and Alex. Trivkoska, yeah, I'll sit right here, perfect. Um, yeah, so uh, like I said, we have been in a series on race, and so um, some of these folks sitting up here have, have emailed me um, some of their stories, some of they, and some of them haven't, um, and some of these stories are gonna be new to me as I'm hearing them unfold, and some of them um, I, I might know. And so um, I ask that you all as I will also be. Um, I think I, I got a text, you know, was there anything that y'all talked about that I should know about? I'm like, yeah, we're just gonna kind of let the spirit lead this in the direction it goes. Although I, it's planned, I promise you, I have questions. Um, but also knowing that as these stories unfold, um, as we hear from them, this conversation may be a little bit more fluid. Um, and we wanna leave room for that. I also leave, ask that you all would this would be a really sacred place as you hear their stories um, today. That this would be um, that you would you would read their stories like you would read the Bible. So um, to start off, uh, again, this is Cheryl, Marcos, Ryan, Carolyn, and Alex. Um, and so I, I invite I think all of you. I think everybody would love to know more about you. And so would you just introduce yourselves and Brett's gonna handle the um, the mic situation yeah there you go um, would you introduce yourselves and um, and share a little bit about your background your um, culture your ethnicity like where you grew up your family of origin kind of share a little bit about who you are where you come from yeah good morning every yeah good morning everyone uh, again Cheryl Williams I uh, born and raised in st. Louis Missouri Missouri um, Grew up in, uh, I'm African-American, uh, grew up in a home uh, led by a single parent, my mom, and the oldest of three. Um, I will add this before moving on. Uh, there was an understanding in my home that because we were African-American that we pretty much knew all about African-American culture. Hmm. But as I got older, I realized I didn't know as much as I probably should have known. So I'll leave that teaser. <laughs> now I need a teaser, all right. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Marcos Correa. Marcos Correa, for, because that's why I say that, people are like, what did you say? For those who don't know, Correa actually means belt in Spanish. Um, so I am born and raised from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, been in this area for about 17 years. Um, I have a, I think, a unique background, so my Dad is um, was Mexican from um, Guadalajara, Mexico, and then moved to Mexico City. On my mom's side, I have a, a mix, but predominantly Polish background. Um, Wisnaski from the Wisnaski heritage uh, line lineage, if you will, from Krakow, Poland, and Mexican. So sometimes I say I'm Mexico-Polish-American. Go figure. Um, this I was very ex excited and humbled that Pastor Michelle reached out to me. Um, you know, obviously born and raised in San Antonio in a predominantly Hispanic city of San Antonio, Texas. I didn't really see race. I, you know, it, that, it, it wasn't through a lens of race that I, that I lived my life. Moving up here 17 years ago, as I said, it was one of the first times I was um, introduced to the beauty of different races. Met now my husband, Christopher Brown, who is interracial himself adopted our daughter who is interracial herself um, and it's just been um, a, a breathtaking experience to see and to um, be exposed to what race means and how it's tied to I think everyday life and I hope to continue to educate myself even to this day now especially for my daughter <clears throat> to expose her to her race, her background is just equally as important. For her to also learn about my race, my background, quick story is, you know, my mom comes and visits every so often, and 
my mom makes authentic Mexican food, and Harper is a huge fan of tortillas, and she's like, tortillas, tortillas, tortillas. And I just think, hmm, I wonder what would have happened. You know, like, who knew this little girl would have grown up as, you know, being so uh, in love with, with, the, with that culture. So, mm-hmm. thank you. Good morning. Uh, sorry. Uh, my name is Ryan Battle. I grew up here in Northern Virginia. Um, I actually went to high school here for a year here at Hayfield. Um, I grew up in a African American household. Um, I attended a, I would say, a 99.9% um, uh, African American church, one of the oldest uh, black churches in the area. Um, and um, I was a third third generation, so my grandparents went there, my mom uh, went there, and then I went there, and then my son was uh, baptized there. But um, through that lens, I went to a middle school and a high school that was very diverse, where um, uh, white and black kids were the uh, minority and not the majority, not the majority, and so. Going to church on Sunday, like you only see people that look like you and are kind of in your circle, but then you go back out into the real world and everyone looks different. Like it's not, you're not surrounded by the same all the time. And so that uh, was an eye-opening experience and uh, a real real change, Um, especially when I went to college where I would meet kids that were from other schools in the state of Tennessee because I went to University of Tennessee and they would say, oh, I went to the all black high school in town or the all white high school. And me being naive coming from Northern Virginia, like that just didn't exist mm-hmm. here. That just wasn't a thing. And so that was a huge uh, culture shock to me. Um, but I will leave leave that um, as, a, as a nugget to uh, come back to. Um, but. Yeah, um, one of the other uh, things growing up that was uh, ingrained in me is that there were uh, three funeral homes in Alexandria, and if you were white, you went to one funeral home, and if you were black, you went to one of the two black funeral homes, and that's just kind of how it was. So, you know, being eight, nine, ten years old, uh, you just were like, oh, okay, but then as you got older, you kind of you know, started thinking through like, why, why is that a thing? Why, why, why does mm. that matter? So, hmm. um, but that's just uh, this the beginning. So, hi, I'm Carolyn Ricks. Um, I also, like Ryan, grew up in this area. Um, my dad was from um, my dad is from Alabama, and my mom was from Ohio. They met in college, and <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the, my dad had two offers. He could go back to work in Alabama or he could work in the Washington metro area. And I feel that, um, <clears throat> well, he told us that that decision was um, to come here was so that we would have, my siblings and I would have a really um, diverse experience, um, opportunities to meet um, a greater number of people than he may have had when he was growing up. So um, I think that's really shaped a lot of my personal experience, my siblings' experience. Um, and the church where we attended was um, particularly diverse. So I guess this is my nugget um, kind of to one of the other questions. Um, so I guess my kind of, my, my nugget word is um, longing. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Hi, good morning. Alexandra Terpkowska. Um, I'll say the Macedonian too. I appreciate yes. that. Alexandra Terpkowska. So, um, just as a, as a way of introduction, um, my family and I moved to the US from Macedonia in 1998. I was 14 years old, and I was watching Beverly Hills 90210, the original version, back home. <laughs> and um, I thought that my brother and I coming to the US, um, to Detroit, Michigan, was going to be very similar to like Brendan Brandon in LA. <laughs> um, so, it wasn't, um, and even though you know um, I knew geography really well, I didn't know enough about culture um, and like just different dynamics and and stuff like that. So um, what was interesting is that right away at school, uh, whether it was because I had a thick accent or because like I was in bilingual English three, um, I was embraced as diverse. And so for me, that was really different because in Macedonia, uh, a country of about two million people, 
I would say almost everybody looks alike. Um, and so about two-thirds of the population is Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, um, Macedonian Orthodox, depending on how the churches divide. And um, the other third is either um, Orthodox Albanians or Turkish people or Muslim Albanians. And, um, and there's a gypsy population as well, so like, or Roma. Um, so what was interesting is like, I think because it was post-communist, religion was so separated from um, how we practice traditions. So we did traditional things and we would go to church on big holidays, but it, like, we didn't read the Bible. So mm -hmm. it, it wasn't anchored, because that was something that was prohibited by the government ages ago. So like our grandparents did stuff that were connected and they see things now that stem in the Bible, but I had no appreciation for that. So what was really, um, I mean, first it was a big culture shock coming to the US, but then, I would say a lot of my um, a lot of my friends were people who were diverse. So and if, and for us, what was interesting is like we didn't see color; we saw heritage. So we talked about where we came from because a lot of my friends were immigrants. So they came from Africa, they came from Asia, they came from other countries. So we we were constantly sharing like traditions and cultures, um, and. And I would say, um, just in terms of like bringing religion back into my life and actually really connecting with religion came about after um, I was separated with my uh, now ex-husband. Um, I was trying to find a place to like belong and I felt like talking about separation and divorce in my Macedonian cycle was something shameful. I think Orthodox is very similar to Catholic in a way. Mm. And so it was um, a lot of my, African-American friends or immigrant friends who actually like, they called on the phone and they prayed with me saying out loud the things that weren't being said. Mm -hmm. And I think that I didn't experience that at any time with like my, my Macedonian tradition, like prayer was silent and, and you didn't talk about certain things, but I felt mm -hmm. incredibly closer to God, incredibly like mm -hmm. transparent, um, vulnerable and just seen when my friends spoke those things. So um, I think I often say that um, I'm brought closer to life um, because of that, and it's closer to God because of that relationship. So happy to be here. <laughs> Michelle, I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, I, um, well, I mean, you kind of uh, took us in, in, in a direction, Alex, talking about how, um, how your, yeah, coming to um, America and and being in relationship with with um, with with people of diver diverse um, backgrounds and 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 ethnicities has l led you closer to God, right? Like led you closer to God. I um, I want us to think about one thing that was said in in the first week of the series where we acknowledged that in this room, um, we would actually, Kingstown would be considered by United Methodist standards, a diverse church. Um, I, I, I did the, you know, whatever this even means, I don't know. I have, we have somebody in our congregation who works for the Census Bureau, so they do this every day, right? But like whatever this, you know, a census means um, and how you even do it, that's, you know, one of the questions that we were talking about earlier. I, it's like exactly 20%. 20% of our congregation, it would be considered non-white, I think. Um, that's considered in the United Methodist Church a multi-ethnic <laughs> um, multi church, which is just crazy. Uh, tell me how that made, those of you who maybe, not everybody has to say, but tell me how that made you feel. I don't know, Carolyn, if, like, you, I was thinking about you. Like, tell me what that does when you, when you heard that. What, does, what did that do? Um, nugget word, <laughs> longing. <laughs> so um, when, when you said that, I immediately kind of chuckled to myself and I, I thought back to growing up um, in, in a United Methodist Church that was, in my, you know, in my experience and my recollection, very diverse. By the time 
um, my family transitioned away from that church, you know, when we had birthdays, we were singing it in five languages. So hmm. I can, you know, I can sing it in Tagalog, I can sing it in Spanish, I can sing it in French. So, you know, that, that um, you know, celebrating, you know, Black History Month, celebrating Asian Pacific Islander uh, Month, you know, hearing, you know, hymns or spiritual songs in Tagalog, you know, hmm. having, um, having uh, diverse leadership in our church. Um, and it didn't, I'm sure it wasn't always that way. Um, and I, I know our, that church had gone through its own period of kind of reconciliation and um, having, you know, really d uh, difficult discussions about, you know, we have all these people from different backgrounds, you know, in our leadership and our, um, our pastor uh, being from Mexico, you know, so how do we truly, um, reflect the image of what diversity is. Um, and those were, they were tough uh, conversations, but I feel that the outcome of that was a really beautiful thing where it's not just we're, we're here, we show up and mm. we acknowledge that, you know, there's so many different um, backgrounds and people from different heritages and, and all of that. But I think a, a really, you know, it's not just you're a person I sit next to in church, you're, you're my sister, you're my brother, you know, we're family. Mm. Um, we respect each other's backgrounds. Um, and, you know, being out in the rest of the world, you know, so to hear that, that this would be, you know, on paper, what's reflective of a multi-ethnic church, um, it feels, it, it makes me long for, for more. It mm. makes me, you know, think back to being in college and participating in gospel choir and, and missing some of those sounds. It makes me, you know, miss some of those, those different greetings, miss the food. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you've ever had Ponset or Lumpia. Those are comfort foods for me. You know, like we didn't have them in my house, but we had them at church. Like so, I know them. Um, mm. So, and I think that really, that experience, you know, that opportunity to grow up in this area, that experience of being in a church that was structured that way, by by nature, by God's will, um, I think just kind of set up who I am as a person. So, really looking for opportunities to you know, immerse myself in other cultures, to making a decision to live abroad for a year, you know, wanting to um, take little moments, you know, when I'm at work and ask families a question that doesn't have to do with, you know, what words do you want your kids to say today? But, you know, like, oh, tell me a little bit more about that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, to make those connections so that, yeah. not, you know, I, I'm a curious person, but also I really yeah. seek to understand others and I, I I think that what we're doing here, um, having these discussions, mm -hmm. is a really powerful and beautiful start yeah. um, to what that could end up being. Yeah, thank you for sharing how that made you feel. I was I also um, also heard Cheryl. Would you mind also sharing a little bit about kind of that feeling of you know I, this was a part of this series I did not anticipate. I did not anticipate it. I, I did not think about how it would feel to be a person of color in a church this small, this predominantly white, hearing the conversation at hand. And so, yeah, I don't know, like, would you share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I have the email that I sent you. So okay, like good. Sure. <laughs> All right. Say it. Yeah, I'd like to read a, a portion of it. Um, it took me a few days afterwards. I wanted to gather my thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, but here goes. Um, again, just a, a portion of the email. In all of my church years prior to last Sunday, I never heard a sermon that so deeply addressed the issue of race given by a pastor that wasn't a person of color. During our um, meeting this past week, in preparation for today, I actually then said that given by a pastor, I should have put a period um, at, instead of adding that wasn't a person of color. Mm -hmm. A little known fact is that it is not always easy for some people of color to hear such messages in mixed groups as it can make some of us feel more quote unquote under the spotlight than usual. Mm -hmm. Such messages in mixed groups can also cause some of us to brace ourselves for follow-on negative reactions from those becoming more firmly entrenched mm -hmm. in their negative beliefs and stereotypes. Regardless, it was a message that needed to be delivered. During your sermon, I experienced a range of emotions, 
from feeling fully and completely accepted to sadness as I listened to a message that I knew all too well. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm going to just uh, kind of take liberties with this, uh, the direction here. The, the what about that did you know all too well? Um, and and, the, and I, this goes into the question of, uh, could, could we, let's bring, I mean, we're, we took it there, so let's stay there. Uh, what, what's kind of, what about that did you know all too well? What is your story of, of uh, experience with difference, racism, um, microaggression, whatever it is, but I want, like, that's, what is your experience with that? Maybe your earliest memory, maybe your most visceral memory, but I, would, I think everybody would love to, to hear that part of the okay. story. My life condensed into two minutes or less. <laughs> um, it wasn't until fifth grade when I was, based on some tests they gave, sent to what's called a gifted school that I literally left an environment that was all African-American mm. and went to a school where there were people, or I was the minority, um, Asians, wh uh, white students. Uh, we didn't have any Hispanic students at the time. Uh, all the teachers were white. Uh, the principal, interestingly enough, was an African-American male. Um, that was my first experience like I said, being outside of an all-black environment. Church, home life, neighborhood, schools, grocery stores, you name it. That was a wonderful experience. Hmm. And it prepared me for the rest of my life. Because after that, that school was a feeder school to a, where we could continue in the gifted program in high school. So from North St. Louis, any of you know Missouri and St. Louis, North St. Louis, like a dividing line, black. South St. Louis, white. So I found myself now spending four years in Little Italy. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. That's where the high school was. Again, minority. But it prepared me, and I was very fortunate. I did not experience any negativity because of my skin color. Not at my school, my elementary school, not at my high school, never. I was never made to feel less than. Hmm. It was a very welcoming environment. It probably also helped, I mean, I can give you the example. Ended up being the um, student council president. Wow. Predominantly white school. Ended up being uh, captain of field hockey team. Captain of the girls basketball team. That was just my personality. The first time I experienced racism was when I went with friends to the uh, state championship girls basketball. I went into the restroom, it was my senior year of high school, Jefferson uh, City, Missouri, where the championship was held, and there was a negative comment made by some girls I didn't know in the bathroom who were standing around about my skin color. I felt sick to my stomach. That was the first time in all my life that I had experienced that. I felt sick to my stomach, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's horrible. I went back out to my friends, told them what happened. They wanted to go in and confront them. I said no, but that stayed with me. It was so negative, but I had the crutch to lean on of all of those previous years of positive experience. <laughs> Moving forward in my life, going on to college, predominantly white school again, going on to law school, becoming an officer in the military, being a lawyer in the military, becoming a full colonel, first black female uh, colonel reserve attorney in the Marine Corps history. Still, I knew, they called in the Marine Corps and I went through my training, they said, you're green. All of you are green. Well, we're not all green, but that was the way of dealing with that. And I don't know if I have any Marines out there, but we're green Marines. But you knew you weren't green, but again, I didn't feel, I didn't feel racism. I felt like if I applied myself, if I did all I could, I'm sure there were people there who might have been. Mm -hmm. I have not felt blatant racism. But I do know the little things when people kind of look at you a certain way. Mm -hmm. 
um, a snide remark that's made that you know wouldn't have been made about you, that wouldn't have been said to you if you were other, if you weren't of this skin color. It's been interesting, as a, even as a federal employee, supervising all white hmm. teams of attorneys. Fortunately, didn't experience any negativity. But I know I have been very fortunate. I know there are many others who are not as fortunate. Mm -hmm. I will say to you, I'm married. I have a son who's 17 who just got his driver's license. I'm going to get emotional here, so I apologize. How many of you know George Floyd? How many of you have heard of Tyree Nichols? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say my son's name, but I don't want you to know his name for that reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's my greatest fear with my son driving now. Mm -hmm. We, my husband and I had to have the, the talk with him about being a young black man in America, teen, pulled over, maybe even not pulled over, minding his own business. That's the story that scares me. Even though my life has not been one of great negativity in terms of racism, it's, I've been fortunate in that regard, but it's still there. It exists. I don't know as much as I hoped I would. I did not know what I didn't know until I worked in the Department of Office of Civil Rights in one of my federal agencies. I was amazed at all I had not learned. Remember all my education I told you about? There were things I learned that as a federal employee in civil rights office that I never knew that was never addressed in books in mm -hmm. school. And now we want to get rid of those things mm -hmm. and make it even worse. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Again, it, the bottom line is we shouldn't know any of those young men's names. That's the backdrop against which I live my life. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to ever know my son's name for that reason, either. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Cheryl. Yeah. Would uh, anyone else have a, a story that you'd like to share of, of, I mean, yeah, I mean, Cheryl just shared her story, her, what is, what's your, what's that hard story of, of, of difference, uh, uh, feeling different, of feeling uh, people's aggression? So you're probably wondering how we got here. Um, I know Cheryl just explained that, but I just had to lighten it up a little bit. But um, I, so I went to a elementary school that, uh, a Christian elementary school that actually had people that were Muslim, Buddhist. Um, it was like a non-denominational Christian school. So that's where I, I went and uh, had a black principal, like the, the classroom was like the melting pot of America. Like one of each ethnicity or race or religion was in the class. So it, having experienced that, it was, you know, like that was normal to me. Um, home life, obviously all African-American, church life, all African-American, but at school where you're spending a majority of the time, it's very multicultural. Fast forward going to the inner city middle school that uh, my mother worked at where I ended up going and um, I was in the uh, gifted and talented program as, as well as Cheryl. So I went from you know, a very multicultural uh, classroom to me being one or two of the only African-American kids in the entire class of let's say 28 to 30 kids. Um, I thought that that would change, but that was actually how my entire middle school and high school career was. Uh, when I played sports, I played sports with uh, people that looked like me, um, uh, basically, you know, black or white, because I didn't play soccer or any other sports, not, you know, trying to break it out, but that's kind of how the makeup was the city was. If you were black, you played football or basketball, or you did wrestling. If you were white, you played, you did crew or rowing, um, you played uh, volleyball, or you did some other sport or soccer or some other sport that the uh, school offered. So outside of the classroom, it went back to, you know, that you're one of two, but back inside the classroom, I was, you know, one of one or one of two. Um, through my AP classes, like I was, you know, always looked at as, you know, the kid that um, was, you know, the the Oreo or the the black kid that acted white because I was, 
you know, I just was better at school than like other kids or I, you know, I tried a, a little bit harder or that's just the, the path that I was on to uh, go to college. So, you know, I, I, it, it, I kind of accepted that and like kind of internalized it and just, you know, I just said like, this is my story. So I'm just gonna, you know, keep going. But it did get to a point where I was getting in, uh, like about to graduate and I just started, I, I did not want to stay on that path anymore. I just wanted to, I would tell my mom, I just want to be a regular student. Like I just want to, uh, you know, be in a regular class. And then that's when I got back to kind of the multicultural uh, type of uh, classroom, but it was a weird feeling because I still feel like I didn't fit in there. Mm. Um, now going to college, um, I went to the University of Tennessee. I, I went there, you know, on, on a scholarship, um, academic scholarship. Like I, I went there to have the grades, but I can't tell you how many times when people ask me when I went to college, did you play football at the yeah. University of Tennessee? Did you play basketball? Like, oh, were you an athlete? And like, I just, like, I just have a canned response now. Like, you know, oh, I'm just like, you know, a regular student, yada, yada, yada. But that's how I'm seen. Like, I'm, you know, 6'1", you know, you know, 300 pounds, but I'm just seen as, oh, you just play sports. Like, that's why you're here. Or you know, in the workplace, like, oh, you're just the, you know, affirmative action hire, like, it's not the, you know, it's not like I didn't work hard to get there, it's not like I got there off of my own, you know, uh, know-how, it's like, you are here because somebody made a place for you, and this is how you got to this level, and, you know, that's, that's, and now that I have a son and a daughter, like, that's something that, like, I don't want them to have to deal with, like, and I always tell them, like, you know, don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Like, you move forward until the the path that's there, like, removes itself. And then you figure out a way to get around it. Um, so that's that's kind of where I got to uh, this point. So, yeah. so, Brian, you're taking us into a conversation of difference and definitely perceived uh, like you know microaggressions related to how you ended up but also you're t taking us into a little bit of an experience of our scripture and I want us to kind of end today with this and I know you're like we're ending already but um, and I would love Marcos I specifically would love to hear um, more of your story the um, the scripture today you know part of the critical race theory biblical race theory if any one piece of it is so deeply biblical it's this it's this need for the counter story and um, a word that comes out in critical race theory a lot is intersectionality that none of us are one thing right so all of this difference that you experience is so much about like you're you're an academic and and you're black and you're you know a, a guy that maybe looks like a football player but don't maybe do you don't play football you know like it's it is each one of our experiences we're not just woman we're not just um, African American we're not just Macedonian we're not just divorced right we're not like that in in the story of the good Samaritan uh, good Samaritan of the Samar um, Samaritan woman at the well like Jesus meets this woman and and she is a woman that comes with its own whole story. She's also a Samaritan woman, which comes with its a whole other piece of the story. Um, and then you add on top of that, that both her Samaritan culture and her being a woman would completely make her, the relationships she has been in over the, um, the last few years, and the, we don't know the whole story, but would that make that a completely shameful part of her life, right? So what is, I guess in this story, as we talk about difference, I just want to he make sure everybody has gotten to share what is uniquely your story to tell? What is your story to tell? Um, yeah. All right, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, growing up in San Antonio, I was not the minority. It was, uh, we actually were the majority of, of Latinos. I grew up Catholic. Um, growing up, my sexuality was a huge part of my story. And it was told, I, was, I went to Catholic school my entire life. And it, I struggled immensely with that because, and I'll leave it at that. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and, or, anyways, coming up here, I most certainly was the minority, and I stood out. Interestingly enough, um, a lot of people, and not just 
white people. I mean, a lot of people would come up to me and say, well, what are you? Are you Filipino? Are you Puerto Rican? Are you, and I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I'm American. You know, and I don't, and it's funny, I don't really like using the coin, the term Mexican-American, because it's like, I'm American, like that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't like, and you brought up the term of, you know, affirmative action, like I busted my butt to get to where I'm at now. Don't view me because I'm the minority. Even at work to this day, you know, sometimes I'm coined as, if they need a diverse story, well, let's ask Marcos because he's Latino, he's gay, he's, and I'm like, you're checking all these boxes off. And people joke about it, but I'm like, really? That, is that what you're viewing, viewing me as? And I, I hear that quite a bit. But also, two more things I want to say. There's a reason why I introduced myself as Marcos Correa because when I moved here, I couldn't say that name because people were like, and that's fair enough. People don't speak Spanish. I get it. But what I really, really want to stress, all of that being said, is there's a reason why Chris and I chose, I had found, as what I, we like to say, we found home with this church. Because when we were driving, uh, I think it's on um, Telegraph, and we saw the sign, and we saw the rainbow sign, you know, and, we're, and it said like inclusivity. And that's huge for us, you know, as, as a couple that really just want to praise our Lord Jesus and Savior Christ. We just want to raise a daughter with love and acceptance. And that's the bottom line. That was huge for us to be able to experience that and to find a home and find acceptance for ourselves. Mm-hmm because that is who we are, that's who I am, and I can never change that. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't do that in other religions, and um, I will say that it was difficult for my, for my mom, my dad has since passed, but for my mom in the very beginning when I told her I was not going to a Catholic church, you know, raised very religious, and she was, she paused, but obviously now she's, uh, I mean, it, that, that doesn't, that, that, that's not the issue anymore. It's just as long as you are finding a home of genuine love and acceptance, and that's who we are, and that's who, who we hope to, uh, what we want to give to our daughter. Um, and then one really quick, quick final story is um, several years ago, several, several years ago, we were, Chris and I were in a small town in Virginia, I will not name the town, and um, we were trying to, we were in a parking lot, and we were trying to leave a parking spot, and someone rolled their window down and flat out told us, we don't let your kind in front of us. And I had never experienced that. And you, I was, I think I was so taken back and, and this person rubbed their arm, you know, in front of us. And I thought, are they looking at you, Chris? Are they looking at me? Are they you know, like, what, what do we do? And so we just let them go. But it was to the point where I made Chris pull over because I just, I thought I was going to throw up. I felt so disgusted in myself and in, I felt angry. And I, I'm going to be honest, at that moment, I, I was so angry at white people. Because I was like, why the hell? And I was like, wait a minute, don't think that. Why? Not everyone's like that. But I share that story because it really, it almost, almost kind of feel like I'm glad I experienced that because I realized, like, you know, I, God, I, I can only imagine what people who are, who are not me go through. And even more so, I look at my daughter now, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, I, I, all I just want is for people to truly look at us as individuals, as individuals for who we are, for what we stand for, and for love. Maybe that's a perfect world. Maybe we'll never get there. I don't know. But at least here in this church, um, we have found that so far, and um, I, I look forward to what's to come. Yeah, um, I want to add something, and I think the way in which you like your last point connects really deeply with me. Um, I feel like whenever like I have to check a box in a form, um, I feel a little a little bit of anxiety because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, am I white? It, it says ethnicity for me, like and especially like in the Balkans, right? Ethnicity is um, and nationality like play a big role versus here. And so I look at that field, and I think for a while I would ch- just check other and put Macedonian, and. Um, and now it's like a half of the time I'm like, who am I? And it's kind of like, who am I even like today or other stuff? And it, what's interesting is also like how the kids are learning about this or like, um, uh, so yeah, the kid's dad is, um, is Macedonian and Bulgarian and the Bulgarian side, um, it's from Trakia and like it's close to, I wanna say like Turkish roots, that kind of stuff. So he, Peter tends a lot more than Annabella does. And um, he came back from school one day and he was like, I don't know if you needed to fill out something or something. And he's like, mom, um, I'm brown, but how come Annabella's white? And I was like, you know, we're, we're Macedonian American, right? And they are born and raised in America. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer this question. I just genuinely did not know how to answer that question because I think 
when you select a certain box, once you're put into a category, and there, there are assumptions about that category. Mm. And so, but it's interesting because I think other people always put us in a box. So I have, I have friends who are white who don't think I'm white enough. And frankly, I don't think I'm ever gonna fit into that category. I have friends who are um, African-American or others like from Panama or other countries and they, they will say, I don't think of you as white. So I get perhaps my own special little category of like Macedonian American and I may be the only one that they know. And, and, but I think that kind of like the way in which Carlos wrapped up the story, I think we're all unique. And as unique as we are, I think the things that like we actually get together on, for example, here, is that we believe in a Christ that's inclusive. And so like, maybe that's the only thing mm. that we need to have in common that we declare, and we don't have to declare certain other things. Mm. But I, I feel like at different moments, there's different parts of our story that play. Mm. And um, I think to dismiss any one of those, is to dismiss the, the richness. So like, and in, in I'll just share this too. In the Balkans, a lot of different country, uh, cultures had passed through, right? Roman times, via, the, there's a road that led through it, via Ignacia, it's in the Bible, etc. When When people were arguing, and I think when the West, through American media lens, saw the Balkan Wars, they were attaching labels like, oh, this is a division based on religion. Mm. Albanians are darker than Macedonians. No, they're not. Right. This was how the outside world tried to describe something. And, and I think I'm trying to not do that myself, whether it's for my sake or with my friends, and to just find out what their story is. Because the story can be very different yeah. for every single person. This is why, like, right, this is, this is why uh, a lens of race um, is so uh, un it's unsatisfying. Like it just doesn't do. Um, this is why there are theologians that would like us to move towards a maybe instead of racial reconciliation, like ethnic um, ethnic conciliation, like this understanding that we are all so much more than these big boxes <laughs> that we have to check. And probably also, I don't know, Carolyn, why you feel so much longing, right? Why is the church such a problematic place to talk about race? Why is it so hard? Why is the church the most segregated place in America still? Because we still are in a lens of boxes and um, box checking. I mean, the fact that I have to even fill that out for, for the, I'm just like, it makes me angry now because after hearing your stories that I have to fill this out, right? So, um, yeah. Does anybody else want to share anything? And I'm, I know that we have, this has been a little bit longer, but I wanted to make sure you heard their stories. Um, I would love to move into a time of communion, and I, I would love for a couple of you to maybe serve communion today. Would you be willing? That would be awesome. Um, any, but anything else to share today? I'll just share one thing. Um, and this uh, struck a chord with me. Actually, two quick things. So one thing, the first thing is when... Um, the church does the the teenage uh, thing where they're uh, where they go and experience different religions and and figure out if they want to give their self uh, to Christ. Like the church that I grew up in, like you just did it. Like there, you figured out a time and you just did it. Like I remember when I did it and joined the church. Like I did it because my grandmother was getting old and and it was something that like the family wanted to see me do. So like I did it. He's talking about confirmation. Yeah, sorry, confirmation. Yes, thing. yes. So he's um, talking about confirmation. Yes. Now we're gonna go on a couple yes. of field trips to like a mosque and to a, a synagogue and yes. we're gonna take our youth. Yeah, the, they, that was just not what you're. Yes, yeah. sorry, but but, uh, but <laughs> that teenage thing. Yes, but with that, um, like I, my best friend is uh, Jewish, and so like I started started studying Judaism, and I started studying Buddhism, and I started, you know, studying you know all of these other different um, religions, and I started you know my I have another friend from college uh, that is a big science guy, so he's atheist, and so like you know we have like a mixed group of people, and like I've talked to some of my other friends who are like, tr 
true hardcore like Sunday Southern Baptist like they're in church three hours on Sunday you show up you eat the after church dinner like you go to mama Mima's house like the whole like nine yards and like when I explained you know you know t having these like different friends from like different religions it was like you know they, the the first response was uh, from the Southern Baptist was oh they're gonna go to hell and I was like well you're t and then this, so I'm like trying to rationalize my own faith inside my own head. It's like so you're telling me if a person that does all the right things is a kind person, like just goes through life and is just a good, genuine person, just because they don't attend church on Sunday and or read a Bible, that they're gonna go to hell. And I was like, I just can't agree and get on board with that extreme type of thinking. And so that was like my one thing that kind of brought me to where I am with my faith and in, in trying to figure out, as Carolyn said, like where I fit in. Um, and then one other quick thing, when I first started dating my wife, she was attending like this out of church kind of um, Bible group. And uh, so I started going with her as, you know, we got more serious. And like one of the things they had like said to her, like on the side was like, oh, can you bring your husband to church on Sunday? You know, we'd really like to have him. Not they wanted to meet me, but they just wanted me to attend church to hit their, as uh, Pastor Michelle said, their diverse quota number. Oh, Lord, because the more people that show up and more people that are seen, then whoever's taking attendance can check that box. And so. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, long story short, we ended up leaving, but like that was one of the things that, again, s made me, you know, take pause and, you know, really, really think like, where do I fit in? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, thank you all. Um, we are so grateful to have you uh, and to hear your stories. And only if you just are like, if you feel like there were stories you didn't get to tell, which I know Alex, Alex sent me a text this morning. Those are too many questions, Michelle. That's true. <laughs> that was wow. That was completely true. Um, uh, the uh, there are more stories for these people to, to tell and others to tell. So would you ask them? Their story.